I haven't done anything, but I was, and I kind of knew that you weren't going to have too much uh, to offer up either, but I figured we could maybe, instead of talking about recent hikes, what's the intel on road closures right now? So I know Hurricane Mountain Road is closed. I think Bear Notch is closed as well, but like, what about the other biggies like- um, Mount Clinton? Yeah, Mount Clinton. What is there? Zeeland. Uh, what, what what's the what are you hearing about road closures? Anybody? Honestly, that's yeah. Anybody? Fear game. I did hail I, last week, and uh, Zealand was still open. Zealand was okay. Yeah. Um, there is a website, isn't it? Just U.S. Forest Service website that covers that. There is, yeah. I think there's a little bit of a delay on the website, but I will put that in the show notes. Um, I just figured it's getting to be around that time, so yeah, that, it is. Uh, people going to start thinking about road road closures. Yeah, and just last night, um, the Notch got some snow pretty much north of the Notch, like Cannon and um, Carroll County, I guess way up north, uh, got some snow, so that's pretty cool. I did Flume. I did Flume a week ago, and 93 was still open. (laughs) (laughs) Bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, every time we drive by that trailhead for uh, Old Bridal Path, it's like miles in every direction, so many people coming up. I know, it's crazy. (laughs) How about 16? We should close 16, too. <laughs> that should be the first. <laughs> That's awesome. Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. All right, I'm rolling. I re- I just pressed uh, record. So, all right, so let's uh, let's pick it up. So, Snop, we have like guest in the Woodpecker Studio. Like this is unheard of. What can you describe? Isn't this a little wild? Bit of what's what is happening over the, up there? I have no idea. Well, I mean, we have. Uh, they just came walking in off the street, and I said, "Hey, you guys, want to <laughs> jump in on a podcast?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure, no problem." Uh, I don't know what they're going to talk about, but we've hiked Mount Major. <laughs> All right. Well, that means you're oh, that means you're an experienced hiker, then. Yeah, we. This is the the first live session with the new gear that we purchased with the donations, and uh, thank you very much, everybody. We're we're actually rocking and rolling, and I I know the headphones don't sound as bright, but here it sounds intense. So it's going to be no, really, they sound really good. Okay, good, good. Uh, so it's going to be nice and crystal clear, and uh, hopefully Mike can get his act together on the his side. <laughs> Do you want to yeah, tell him yeah. about that story? Well, yeah. I mean, I had another audio issue, so I when we do these podcasts, I have a microphone, and then I also obviously go off my computer, and sometimes I forget to switch my audio from my computer to my microphone so the audio sounds like hell so i've had a couple of incidents but we're cleaning it up and it will never happen again i promise but um (laughs) yeah but stop actually just to start the show off i got a question from from somebody about um they they basically were like they listened to a show a couple of weeks ago and it was probably you because it wasn't me i'm sure but um we were talking about like when you're an experienced hiker and they had they basically messaged us and they were like what do you guys consider to be like um the definition of an experienced hiker and i was kind of like i don't really know but i was like let me ask stomp in one of the shows to see what he has to say Huh. Uh, well, I guess it's somebody that um, has a base level of confidence and foundational knowledge to say, okay, I'm going to do this hike. I need 
this gear in my pack. I'm going to check the weather out. I know what the weather's going to do. So uh, somebody that plans appropriately and uh, has, most importantly, backup plans if something is to go wrong or unexpected up there. I think that's part of my definition. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, it's not bad. Ken, Ian, any thoughts on what, what you would uh, use for a definition? That's a pretty good definition. I know one thing that I've experienced in my hiking journey is that I never give myself enough credit. And uh, looking back at the things that you do, you kind of have to realize that you do have experience and just kind of enjoy some things. Yeah, that's true, too. That's a good angle. Yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah. I hadn't really thought about it much, but I guess I would sort of go by, you know, everything that you guys covered there, but I would also say that um, exp- when, you, when you get to the point where you're experienced, I suppose you've seen enough, like, sketchy situations where you can not panic if something goes wrong. I guess yeah. that's kind of like a... And I also think that like geography matters too. Like I think you need to get a taste of enough of the geography of a particular region. So that's why I think like, you know, a couple of times up on the Prezies, a couple of times, um, you know, across the different ranges of the White Mountains. And, you know, maybe you get like halfway through a list or something like that. And then that's the, that's the point where you sort of can start saying like, yeah, I got some experience. I've seen, I've seen enough where I can, I can handle like 95% of the things that come up. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Certainly, a list, a list, a completion of a list is a good way to do it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think part of experience also is knowing your boundaries. You know, when those red flags come up for you, and you know that that's pushing the envelope for you, then you know you're just a little bit wiser in that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a good. That's a good one. Actually, is you think about it like the, you know, you see this so many times. What we do, the, like the search and rescue news, um, so many times, like people just walk past that point where they got themselves in trouble and sort of knowing like ahead of time that, okay, I've seen enough here where this could be hairy and I've got to turn around. Like, I think that's, that's another good point is that's when you get, you you can say that you're experienced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Snob. So any updates on um, sponsor? Oh, you want to do the sponsors and any coffee updates for us? Yeah. You know, we got one just about five minutes ago. Um, and it's by Kath, Kathleen, I believe you would pronounce it. And she donated five coffees. And she actually goes into a lengthy thing that I have to read here, if you guys don't mind. It'll just take a second. Um, it was too long for the, the platform to actually capture it. So <laughs> here it goes. I love your podcast so much. Good information and advice. Please, very enter. Oh, plus, very entertaining. You make a great team, and your interaction style really works. Stomp. I'd love it if you'd do a show about PT exercises that could potentially help strengthen muscles, specifically used for carrying a pack. I have multiple back issues and have been doing Pilates for a long time, trying to keep my core strong. But a fifty-something, sometimes a loaded pack backpack is a literal pain in the neck. Last week's episode, uh, that's probably the the good starting point for that. We may be doing some deeper dives into some of these issues. So thanks for the uh, the comments and the donation, and um, I hope you enjoyed the PT episode. And of course, we have Nick Rallo, who donated to New Hampshire Outdoor Council, and um, he's a general contractor uh, locally. He does decks, additions, remodeling, windows, and doors. Um, his number is 603-325-1661. And then last but not least, we want to thank Reckless Brewery, um, the best 
brewery, in my opinion, up in the North Country, up in Bethlehem. Minutes from all the, the major hikes and uh, some of the best craft beer you'll have. Very good. Very good, Stomp. So um, anything else before we get into the show summary here? Yeah, I, this is a Thanksgiving episode, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, so um, I've got a, a treat for you. It's a tick joke. Are you ready? Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> the guests are already primed up for this one. Here we go. Oh, ready? Boy, here we go. <laughs> Be- Bethlin's going to be so excited that she's listening. <laughs> Why wasn't the tick hungry on Thanksgiving? I give up. It was already stuffed. Oh, it's so bad. I don't understand. <laughs> I should have said gorged, I guess. Okay, I? Yeah, but, that didn't, but that didn't work, so I had to like do a hybrid turkey joke with a tick joke. So, oh, well, you that's know what's the best good I got the, for you. you. You've maintained your streak of awful tick jokes. So I'm proud of you. <laughs> no problem. Hey. Ah. Moving on. All right. All right. Moving on. So let's do the show summary here. So tonight uh, we return to a theme that we've touched on before on the show. So um, and that theme is that hiking is an activity that is open to um, everybody and people can often achieve accomplishments in hiking that they never thought possible. So um, tonight we are joined by Ken Bossy, who is a local author and hiker who will join us to talk about his new book. Um, that he just recently published. Um, and in addition to um, his new book, Ken has also written a prior book called uh, They Said It Would Be Fun, A Hilarious Journey, Learning to Hike. And that the focus of that first book was on the um, the 4,000 footers. This new book is on the 52 with a view. So I had first learned of Ken when I discovered his first book and read his stories about hiking the 4,000 footers of New Hampshire. Um, he shared his challenges, doubts, and his stories of friendship while pursuing the 4,000 footers. He's now moved on to um, the 52 with a view list, and we're going to spend some time talking about both books and his experience hiking in New Hampshire. In addition to Ken, Ian, who is one of his friends who joined him on most of his hiking adventures, is also here to uh, to to talk with us so we're excited to have both of them on here and then later in the show um ken and ian will sit in with us while we cover some recent search and rescue news and if we have time we'll dig into a couple of topics of white mountain history so i'm mike and i'm stomp let's get started all right very good so stomp um beer talk here so did you did you give them beers or i don't know if they drink i mean if they don't drink you can give them tea whatever I didn't, but I will offer what I'm going to try in a moment. My wife came back from North Conway today, or yeah, Tamworth area. That's pretty close. And um, it was her nana's 90th birthday, so she brought back a bunch of wine and leftover food and stuff like that. And because you're a pastor, I couldn't believe this coincidence. (laughs) This red wine is called Seven Deadly Red. Uh, Wrath, greed, uh, envy, vanity, sloth, gluttony, and lust. And uh, isn't that funny? It's a red wine. with. It's called Seven Deadly Red. So, there you go. Interesting. Uh, yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> there are no coincidences. <laughs> so, if you'd like some, I will certainly pour you some. And how about you, Mike? Anything? So, I am... So, I talked about last week how I am... Um, right now, I am tied up with my honeydew list. So, I've been working on 
I, I just got new stairs installed in my basement, and I uh, the contractor did a great job, but he is not a painter or a um, a finish person, so I'm doing all that work. So I've been running around. I last week I emptied the refrigerator of all of the hard seltzers that my wife bought over the summer that she didn't like. I didn't have any beers, and um, I just haven't got a chance to get out to go and get new beers. But my wife had stopped the second I finished these hard seltzers that have been sitting in the refrigerator for months. She went out and got like a whole new batch of them, even though she hasn't been drinking them. So I didn't have anything to drink. So I'm drinking a truly tropical punch, which is, it's kind of awful. So I'm not going to (laughs) lie. So a little disappointed, but next time I'll I'll run out to the the store and get some real beer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been somewhat of a a stretch now. A couple shows you've been on this terrible stuff. I know. You can put the shame (laughs) drop in. I will. Yeah, I certainly will. <laughs> All right. Um, so any recent hike stop for you? Unfortunately not. No. The last thing, last thing I mentioned was that uh, East Pond Loop. Have you guys ever done that? East Pond no. Loop? It's up off of Tripoli Road. And um, it's beautiful. It's the nicest time of the year. Any time of the year, actually. But that's the last time I was out. And um, how about you, Mike? Anything? I haven't done anything, but I was, and I kind of knew that you weren't going to have too much uh, to offer up either, but I figured we could maybe, instead of talking about recent hikes, what's the intel on road closures right now? So I know Hurricane Mountain Road is closed. I think Bear Notch is closed as well, but like, what about the other biggies like- um, Mount Clinton? Yeah, Mount Clinton. What is there? Zeeland- uh, what what's the what are you hearing about road closures? Anybody? Honestly, that's yeah. Anybody? Fair game. I did hail I, last week, and uh, Zealand was still open. Zealand was okay. Yeah. Um, there is a website, isn't it? Just U.S. Forest Service website that covers that. There is, yeah. I think there's a little bit of a delay on the website, but I will put that in the show notes. Um, I just figured it's getting to be around that time, so yeah, that, it is. Uh, people got to start thinking about road road closures. Yeah, and just last night, um, the Notch got some snow pretty much north of the Notch, like Cannon and yeah. um, Carroll County, I guess way up north, um, got some snow, so that's pretty cool. I did Flume. I did Flume a week ago, and 93 was still open. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> 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 oh my god every time we drive by that trailhead for uh old bridal path it's like miles in every direction so many people I coming know up i know it's crazy <laughs> how about 16 we should close 16 <laughs> too that should be the first <laughs> that's awesome yeah i don't uh anyway yeah i i have the site here but it doesn't seem to be updated so we'll keep you posted people all right, so we uh, we ready to get into this, Ken? Ian, you guys ready to go? You yeah, gonna be yeah. the star of the segment? Yeah, yeah. and Daphne's uh, climbing all over Ian right now. She she's so funny. She's a one year old cat that we just got about a week ago, and she's just loving the guest. This is crazy. <laughs> I've never seen her act like this. Honestly, if she's driving you crazy, just no, let me know. <laughs> she's like all over this guy. Yeah, oh. Stop. You should send me a picture, of Daphne. I'll I'll post it up on. Uh, on the um, one of oh, the, the Facebook media sites, yeah, yeah, absolutely. She's a doll. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. I'm going to attempt to sort of do an intro here, Ken, because I don't, we don't we haven't met before, but we've had some interactions over social media. So I'm just going to sort of share with the audience right now. You know, I became and Ken. There's a little bit of a sort of a, a cool story around. 
you were a little piece of the inspiration for us to get this podcast going. So I'll talk about that in a little bit. But wow. basically, oh. like, I became aware of um, Ken. I don't know when. When did you write your? When did you publish your first book? Oh, 2019. Yeah. No yeah. one. So it was, yeah, 2019, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I became aware of you. I think you had posted it in a couple of different groups, and you had posted it in our group, and I immediately bought it, and I was like, you know, I want to read this. So um, Ken, you know, published a book about the 4,000-footers, and um, he'll talk – you can talk more about it in, in detail, but I read the book, like, the first day I got it, and you know, it's a really funny book, and he breaks it down sort of hike by hike, which I loved because I can sort of compare my experiences because a lot of the, the – the, sort of the way you clustered it was similar to how I had clustered my hikes as well. Mm-hmm. Um and the book was is great. So, um, but one of the things, sort of peripherally, that I realized is that it was around the same time that um, Ty Ga- is it Gagne or Gagne? Gan- it's Ty Gagne. Right? Oh, Mike, I got the pronunciation. It's Gagne, so, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So Ken's book came out. Ty's book came out, and um, there was a couple of podcasts that I think there's like one guy that does a podcast about the White Mountains. Um, that I listened to a little bit and me and Stomp had always talked about like, we want to get a podcast going, but I sort of like it, it just solidified to me that there was a demand for more sort of media and information about hiking and that, you know, the social media groups were sort of getting very tiresome and very sort of toxic and annoying and that other formats, you know, written books and podcast, I think there was an opportunity there. So, um, so Ken, it wasn't like you directly said, you know, go start a podcast, but it was just another sort of validation to me that like if I'm out there grabbing a book that you read that you wrote and I'm reading it in like 24 hours, then you know, to me, there's got to be more people like that that are interested. So I, you know, it was just another sort of validation to to have us start this podcast. So That's thank awesome. you, yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And Stomp, do you want to talk a little bit about how you um, got to know Ken before we get into the interview? Yeah, I believe, if I remember correctly, I think Ken reached out to me because I don't want to uh, jump this early, but um, he had a donation to give to uh, Pemi Search and Rescue, so that's how we ended up um, meeting, and uh, he actually came to a meeting and and talked briefly and uh, made a donation to the team, which he can talk about later. And actually, you you had the members in stitches. You were really funny, and... uh, (laughs) That's what uh, it, it came back. I'm like, oh, we got to get him back on the podcast, especially now that this book is coming around. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. Awesome. So, Ken, why don't you take it away and give a little bit of uh, background? So, don't get too much into the uh, the book or the, or the hiking piece of it yet, because we'll um, we'll get into that. But just a little bit of background about your you know yourself personally, what you do for work, and 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 you know we'll get into more detail about the books and hiking in a minute. Sure. Yeah. So personally, um, well, I was born at a very young age and uh, people ask me what sign I was born under and I say maternity. Uh, It was quite an adventure. Doctor slapped me and then looked at me and slapped my mother. Um, So kind of how things unfolded. Um, But uh, yeah, a little background. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor now for about 33 years, 31 years at the church I'm in now. I get a fortune of 
pastoring the greatest congregation in all the state of New Hampshire, in Raymond, New Hampshire. Hmm. And uh, I'm also a uh, PCC-level licensed life coach with the International Coaching Federation. So I coach uh, municipalities and businesses and teams and individuals and couples. Um, And I'm also the uh, chaplain for the Raymond Police Department. And um, yeah, I just gravitated into hiking at one point in my life. Cool. Well, we'll get into that, and then Ian. Yeah. Um, so you're you're tagging along here um, with with Ken. So can you give a little bit of background uh, as well about yourself? Yeah. So essentially, I uh, I was in Ken's church as a kid, and then I ended up going in Florida for a little while, did some college, and then when I moved back. I got into powerlifting, and I was lifting really heavy, and I was kind of transforming out of that. I wanted to get some more cardio, and he started posting some of the stories for his book on Facebook before his book was a thing. And I got into some of those and I asked him if I could tackle on a hike and been on a ton since then with him to kind of lit that fire inside of me. Yeah, that's usually, that's a weird transition to go from like power. So I have a, um, a good friend. I have a, a couple of friends that are like pretty competitive bodybuilders and you know, the, the whole hiking thing for them. They do do a lot of, you know, fair amount of cardio, but it's, it's a lot of um, quad rubbing, I think as they're going uphill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, with powerlifting, you lift one thing once, and then you're winded. So, I want something yeah. a little more functional than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, so Ken, why don't you start? You know, so you already started at the beginning about uh, being born and all that fun stuff. But why don't you talk a little bit about? Um, you know, and I won't give too much away, but you got into hiking later in life. Which, which I, well, you touched on it when you were a little younger, but you got back into it. So, can you talk a little bit about so your hiking background, um, and then how you got back into it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I think it started with a really uh, lazy pediatrician that made me hike out of my mother's womb. He just uh, left me to do that on my own, and it, you know, and I think that's kind of like. The epitome of hiking, right? You're in a nice, warm, comfortable, safe place close to somebody you love, and you crawl out of that thing into a wet, damp, where you're crying and bleeding and all that, and that's that's hiking right there. So, uh, but I did a couple of hikes um, as a teenager um, with some friends that I had back then, and uh, you know, we did like Lafayette, well, the Loop, uh, and we did uh, Washington and a couple of big hikes like that, and then just kind of um, uh, you know didn't do much after that. Probably until that was probably like at 19 years old. And then I didn't really hike again after that until I was like in my 30s. I did a couple of hikes with my sister and brother in law, and my kids were, you know, uh, eight and uh, 11. So we brought them on a couple of hikes. You know, we did Cannon and I think we did Lafayette again. Um, just a couple of little exposures like that, you know, nothing really, nothing much. Uh, and then I just, I really put on a lot of weight, um, you know, just being a pastor is like not a lot of physical activity going on there. And so I just started putting on a, a lot of weight. Um, I mean, a lot of weight. It was, uh, you know, my blood type was ragu. Um, it was, <laughs> I put, uh, put a pair of BBDs on and the tag on the back spelled Boulevard. It was, <laughs> it was horrible. But uh Hey, these jokes are pretty good compared to my tick joke. <laughs> He's good. He's Ken can come in with some tick jokes like that. <laughs> so, so um, 
So yeah, so uh, then I kind of got incapacitated to hike, and and uh, but then at one point in time, I live right by Patuckaway State Park, and in, in, you know southern New Hampshire, it's it's right in next to Raymond, and so I just started getting into hiking in the park a lot. And uh, there's only three mountains there, you know, 800, 900, and a thousand feet, so nothing super big, but it was big enough for me, and um, and uh, and that's you know that's kind of like how I started into hiking was just in Patuckaway Park. I, every chance I got, I'm only like five minutes away from the park, so every chance I got, I was out hiking in the park. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful area. Yeah, it's nice. We used to camp there quite a bit, actually. Yeah. There, there is a camp place there. Oh, yeah, big camp. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, the Boulder Fields. And a lot of rock climbers go in there because there's a lot of rock out there. Yeah. A lot of rock. Yeah, so at Ooh. some point, Ken, you, you transitioned from, so you you basically were looking to lose weight, and so you were locally doing hikes. At what point did, what what made you click to say like, oh, I can head north and, and do the big mountains? So uh, a couple of things happened is one, I, I hurt myself. Um, I developed plantar fasciitis, and for a year and a half, I couldn't even walk. Uh, I mean, I just limped everywhere, and if I walked, you know, a hundred, couple hundred feet, that was it. I was just in excruciating pain, and... Um, you know, in our church, we we pray for people, and I thought, gee, I should go get prayer. <laughs> After suffering for a year and a half, it, you know, light dawned on Marblehead, and I thought, uh, I'm gonna. So, so within five weeks of, of people praying for me, the pain completely went away, and I'm like, oh, this is great. So I went back to Patuckaway, and I was crushing it, and I was feeling pretty good, and I thought, gee, I wonder if I could do a four thousand footer again. Because it was years, you know, I mean, you're talking years and years since I've done one. Mm-hmm. And um, I had joined Rotary International in Raymond. And that's where I originally met Dave Salois. Dave Salois at that time was the chief of the Raymond Police Department. And I had, I used to be the chaplain years ago and that kind of like fell apart. He was now a new chief. And uh, so he invited me to become the chaplain of the Raymond Police Department again. And, uh, you know, and I was... I was telling people how I was hiking constantly in Patuckaway and he started telling me that he was hiking up here in the whites and you know he mentioned the 4,000 footers and stuff like that so that kind of like got my curiosity going a little bit and I yeah. thought gee I wonder if I could go back and do you know a fourth I mean like I'm 59 years old at that time I was like 59 years old and probably 70 pounds overweight and I'm like I wonder if I could do a 4,000 footer because I was feeling pretty good in Patuckaway you know um so that's how it started. That's <laughs> <laughs> a big difference, though. Oh. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a difference in elevation. Yeah, right? yeah, you're not kidding. You're not kidding. And, and Ken, you did most of your. Is it is it a crew? Of, is it a three of you? Or four of you total? That's it. Your core group of friends. Yeah. So the way that happened is um, when I when I started when I wanted to do another four thousand footer, I, I did Mount Wombat because I heard that that was the easiest one. Mm-hmm. Um, some liars told me that. And um, so I didn't want to do it alone. So there's this guy I know in my church. He's a little older than me. He was like 10 years older than me, um, maybe 11, uh, not as good looking. And so we, I contacted him and uh, he was in really good shape. He was a jogger. All his life he'd been a jogger and he was retired. And you know my, my schedule being a pastor is very flexible. I can take any day off I want and just make up for it later. And so I asked him if he would hike, you know, uh, on this 4,000 footer and, and he did. And he immediately recommended that we, um, after that first initial hike, that we start doing smaller mountains. 
for something that he called conditioning, which was a word I'd never heard before. <laughs> conditioning. It's not, it's not what you put in your hair. It's, it's, <laughs> no, it is not. Um, so, you know, we backed off and we started doing uh, the Belknap range and the Ossipy range and, you know, stuff like that. And then we went back and we did Jackson and Hale and, um, you know, some of these other first. And then, and then uh, Dave Solois heard that Keith and I were hiking a lot, you know, now doing the 48. And so he asked if he could go on a hike with us. And now there was three. And then uh, a few hikes later after that, Ian reached out and said, hey, I, I saw some of your Facebook posts. I was wondering if I could go with you. Um, and uh, and then he started offering money. So I said, yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, so he started hiking. And, that, and that's where the four of us kind of uh, welded together. And there's been a couple of guys that have kind of like come in and gone out. But, you know, the four of us have been basically the consistency of all the hiking that that we've done got it so ian you're um you're a lot younger than the rest of this crew right so can you talk yep. a little bit of like because i'm just trying to think like when i was in my so you were only like your late 20s when this started yep. like when i was in my late 20s i didn't i can't remember if i i mean i had work relationships with with older older folks but that was about it like can, can you talk a little bit about um about that dynamic i'm curious what are you doing hanging out with all these old people? <laughs> <laughs> Ever since I was younger, I always got along easier with older people. I never okay. enjoyed like immature stuff my age, really. So I've always gone along with older people. And uh, one of the nice things that I knew when I started out with Ken was that he wasn't going too fast and I wasn't going too fast either. So I knew that that was going to be a good little relationship there, too. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And did that work across the four of you, Ken? Was it uh, was it any problem with like speed or like the the pace of hiking, or did you guys pretty much kind of work that out? Yeah. So like you can take a still picture of me with a moving camera when I'm hiking, and um, so uh, but Dave, you know Keith, Keith uh, was great. You know he he hiked all the forty eight with me, and um, you know kudos to Keith. He's now looking at doing the uh, over seventy. Um, and so, but Dave came on and Dave is an athlete. Dave ran marathons and Dave, you know, he does, he does 75 mile bike runs just to go get, you know, a, a hamburger or something. He's, he's that kind of guy. Um, so that was a little concerning because um, he's fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's in really good shape. Um, and I was in shape, you know, rounds of shape. Um, but uh, that was a little concerning because he, you know, he could definitely... If he wanted, he could put the uh, pedal to the metal and leave us all behind. But he's a very <laughs> gracious guy, too, you know, so, I mean, he was he was patient to a degree. You know, I just, I didn't like it when he got in the lead, because I knew it was like, oh, my God, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's tricky. Yeah, exactly. Now, Ken, when did you, I guess, so you dipped your, your toe in the water, you, you're doing a couple of these um, 4,000 footers. At what point were you sort of solidified to say, yeah, I can I can knock this list off? And then at what point did you, did you say, you know, I have a dumb idea. Why don't I write a book about this? So, yeah, I mean, some of the early ones, you know, when you do Hale and you do Tecumseh and you do, you know, you look at the shortest ones and the easiest ones and, and, you know, they were killing me. I mean, I don't think these guys really understand how much I suffered. It was anguish. For me, it was just like a personal, <laughs> can I even survive? Um, 
And then after a while, it's like, hey, I think I can do this. You know, now you're ramping up to doing like the tri-pyramids and, you know, yeah. Canon and the loop and some of the presidentials. Um, and then, you you know, you think, yeah, I, I think I can do this, you know, and yeah. you save those, you know, you save the you save the bonds for <laughs> for last. No kidding, Owl's right? head and, you know, Owl's head, there's a treat for you. I mean, what is that, like 16 miles and there's not even a view? Um, yeah. It's crazy. That's a death march for <laughs> sure. Is. But, uh so so yeah that's how it started and then and so what was happening is you know i was coming home and licking my wounds and and like literally it would take me it was funny because i would come home have a hard time getting out of my car limp around for a little while then i'd feel pretty good and then like the next three days after that i could barely walk it was like a delayed reaction i think my body was in such shock it was like we're gonna sneak up on you and so um so that's when i just started writing these funny uh, Facebook posts. You know, I'd post a couple pictures of the view and of the trails and of the hike. And then I would write this, you know, chapter, this long chapter on Facebook. Really funny. You know, just like this is what happened. You know, I fell in the water and I swallowed six black flies and, you know, <laughs> all the typical stuff about hiking. And people started following that. And then people started like relating to that. And then hikers started, you know, catching up onto some of these pages. And then people were like, you should, you got to put these in a book. Yeah. As a furthest thing from my mind, I'm not I'm not like a writer. English, I'm like next to science, history, math, and geology, history was my worst subject in huh. school. You know, I I mean I was an honor student. It was yes your honor and no your honor and, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But um so I just said, you know, all right, I mean, I, I really I really didn't think it would sell. And so I'm like, I'm not going to make money of this. And I thought, oh, you're going to be a good hook to help sell these is to say I'm going to donate it all to Search and Rescue. Um, and <laughs> it's going to sell these books. And, you know, it actually did. People were like, that's a really cool idea. You know, like, I, you know, if I don't like the book, at least I know I did a worthy thing. Um, so <laughs> nobody buys it. So in case nobody buys it, yeah. The only one that hurt, the only one that's going to suffer from that is uh, Search and Rescue. So... But um, so that's how it started. You know, I just it was like one post after another post. I mean, I had probably had 15 to 20 posts on Facebook um, and people were like, you know, you got to start saving these. You got to put these in a book. I'm like, all right, um, I'm not an author and, you know, I'm not a writer, but I just said, okay, I'm just going to give it the old fashioned college try and put it together and. A lot of help with uh, different people. It helped me edit it. My wife, uh, number one editor, and a couple other people that I know. And it came together, you know, and I didn't know how it was. And, you know, I think one of the biggest um, negative reviews I got was that it's repetitive. But I kind of, at the beginning of the book, I said, listen, this is 48 stories of 48 hikes. It's not a lot of ways you can tell a story different. Um, and so I said, you know, don't read the whole thing in one sitting. Read a couple at a time and break it up, and then it won't be so repetitive, you know. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, uh, you know, other than that, it's taken off great. And and the money has poured in. We made a big donation to, to PEMI. Yeah. Um, I tried to make a donation to Andrew Scoggin, and I think they – they canceled their meeting or they had to do it by Zoom or something. So I wasn't able Probably. to actually participate. It was like an annual meeting. Yeah. So I need to reconnect with them because I have some money for them. And then uh, everything after that is just going to go to the Outdoor Research Council. Outdoor Council, yeah. New yeah, Hampshire they, Outdoor Council. Yeah, they, they handle all that stuff for you guys, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Yep, the teams can apply for grants and whatever else. So Yeah. Great. Well, um, Ian, with Ken, so Ken was struggling on his hikes. How were you holding up? 
So you, I was because doing... I just envisioned everyone dying and nobody <laughs> admitting that they were, they were hurting. They all just wanted to sort of be tough in front of each other. So that's kind of what it was. When Ken was going, when Ken was doing his fast pace, I was comfortable. Huh. Okay, <laughs> which worked out pretty good. <laughs> and then, like he said, as long as Dave didn't make make his way to the lead, we were doing all right. Awesome. And then, Ken, at what point did you? I guess what was the if you don't mind sharing, like, so what was the max weight and then where did you, where did you end up through the, this hiking journey? So max weight was probably 280. Okay. And, um, I mean, like I'm six foot three, I was six foot four. I think that weight pulled me down a little bit. I'm six foot three now <laughs> and, uh, gravity, man. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, I kind of carried it somewhat well, but you can't mm-hmm. hide that much weight. So, um, so in the hiking, you know, I was just killing myself lugging all of the stuff around as well as my pack and my hydration and all this stuff um and and then i thought like after a while i was like why am i doing this you know so ian's family actually does this competitive weight loss competition Hmm. and um you know everybody pulls money together and whoever loses the most weight wins and i thought you know i'm I'm shallow enough to lose weight for money and so uh entered that competition (laughs) and won you know i just dropped I like dropped 40 pounds and um, I started hiking so much better. I actually started finding out what hiking was supposed to be like. Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'd go do a hike, come back and I'm like, gee, I can get out of my car yeah. and you know, I can walk. Um, Pretty no, neat. Wonder, no wonder people like this. Yeah. A little bit of weight can make a huge difference yeah. in, in your speed and endurance and yeah. amazing. Yeah. And did you, I guess, as far as like getting on to this journey did you sort of dial in your gear a little bit differently from the the beginning until where you are now like can you talk a little bit about how your gear choice evolved that's it ian oh yeah ian why don't you talk about that yeah so i started out and i had walmart pack giant pack giant heavy pack i uh, started out with a big heavy walmart trekking poles because i I didn't know how serious i was going to take it and then uh I started counting ounces, and then when I did the uh, Sunapee Greenway Trail, that's really when it set into me to start kind of dialing my weight back and pay a little more attention to it. Mm -hmm. You know what I hate about Walmart, though, is if they don't have what you want, that means you got to go home and shave, comb your hair, get out of your pajamas, and go to Target. (laughs) 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 Yes. (laughs) Nice. Exactly. So, stop. One thing that um, I, and again, I don't know if you've read the the first book or not, but Ken has like an awesome hike rating scale that he uses, which I think we're going to need to like start using that when we talk about our hike. So his his scale is um, it's it starts at, the easiest um, reference is difficult, and the next one is so difficult it's not worth the patch, and then the, the worst rating is insanely difficult. Stay in bed. <laughs> that's fantastic yeah so we can we'll, definitely if we'll use that with your permission of course oh, absolutely yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah that is wicked so, cool yeah, it's really good so you um so eventually can you finish the four thousand footers all four of you um did the majority of the hikes together you wrote the book and um you know you you got back in shape a little bit had some good uh sort of memories that you generated and then foolishly you decided to keep going right can you talk about that a little bit (laughs) yeah i mean i call it a disease um you know it's it's a disease it just gets into your blood and you you can't stop um so 
I had a lot of people contacting me saying, oh, you've got to do a book on the 52 with a view. And I really didn't even, I, I guess I had heard about it. I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't really look into it a whole lot. When I started looking into it, I realized that, you know, I had probably knocked off about 20 of them just from doing these conditioning hikes with Keith. So I'm like, well, man, I can, I can do that. I've already, you know, I've already got a head start on it. So, um, so this time I started, you know, I had to go back to those 15 or 20 hikes that I'd previously done and try to remember as much because I wasn't, I wasn't journaling on those a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had to, you know, look into that. And uh, and then when when from that point on, everyone I hiked, I started taking better notes and a little, you know, and, and adding different things to it and um, getting a lot more scientific into uh, things that were happening, hiking, you know, making making better reviews, like how to tell the weather. And, um, you know, so so the, this book that's coming out and actually it's 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 it is available. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but it is available already on Amazon. Um, but it does have really good information there on uh, skills that can be developed, and uh, yeah, it was it was. Um, I, I think I ended up actually doing like fifty five um, because some of them that I had done were delisted, uh, but they still counted. So I went back and did the fifty two list, but I had already done three delisted ones, so I ended up doing fifty five of them. Okay, yeah, wow, that's a s- similar journey to me because I was like, we were, I think we were doing. These lists around the same time. I just finished actually about two weeks ago with the fifty-two with a view and the four thousand footers. Um, so, in your opinion, what um, is there a difference between these two lists? What? How do you sort of explain the the personalities of these two groups of, uh, of clusters of mountains? So, I definitely, I definitely think that there are some some easier ones. You know, obviously Willard is a very popular hike, and it's only a mile. Oh. It's only a mile and a half um, distance, and it's you know pretty, pretty easy, the whole going. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they're easier because there's some of those fifty-two hikes that are brutal. I mean, they're they're just as rugged. They're, the terrain is you know just as challenging. Um, there's technical aspects to them. Um, you know, they they can kick your butt just as much as anything else. Yeah, you know, that's what I, mean, I say to people too. Is like Shelburne, Mariah, getting out to you know the Bald Face Loop, Bald Faces, yeah. um, Sandwich Beautiful. Dome. Like those are those are tough hikes, and they they, they are tougher than a fair number of the four thousand footers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first time I did Sandwich, I mean the Bald Faces, we did all four of them. Uh, Dave and I did all four of them. You know, and um, so so you have what is it Eastman and then South Ball Face North Ball Face and Eagle Crag yeah. and uh, and we did those four and then and then you know we saw the dome and we're like I wonder what it's like to do the dome go up South Ball Face oh, that was a mistake um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> again you know Dave, Dave the athlete we hit the uh, we hit the rocks now everybody says and all the references and everything you look at they say don't do it when it's wet don't do it when it's wet right. I thought it was going to be dry and we hit those cliffs and Dave was gone he's just like a mountain goat he's not normal he's he's not human um i i think i think he's got cloven feet i you know just and uh, so he was gone and i was left on my own like try to figure out how to go over these ledges and i came to a couple of them that were like beveled and there's running water pouring down them oh, and, and they're slimy and i just you know my life passed before my eyes and actually was kind of boring so i i did scramble up over those those rocks and you know managed to get to the top but that was quite a hike that's really wow yeah that's that's there's no four thousand footer that you know is going to put that one in the dust. That's a pretty tough hike right there. Yeah, it sure is. Generally, people do it counterclockwise. 
Ja. <laughs> But hey. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with like uh, Welch Dickey here. You know what I mean? It's like people typically do it counter because of Welch. Yeah. 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 But hey, who knew? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that one I did do <laughs> counterclockwise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's funny. It's so ingrained over here at Welch Dickey that if you're coming down Welch going clockwise and people have done the trail before that you're passing, they'll get on your case. Like, what are you doing? Like, I've had people like verbally attack me for coming down Welch. Like, it's okay. I, I got this. Yeah. 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 It's really funny. <clears throat> but anyway. And Ken, so you've you've hit these hundred peaks across the two lists. What would you what would you say is your um, handful of favorite mountains that you've hiked? Wow, um, you know Lafayette Lincoln. Uh, that Ridge Walk is second to none. Actually, you know my my son is uh, search and rescue out in Tahoe, California, and he bought me a book for Christmas of the one hundred most popular hikes in the world, and Lafayette and Lincoln is one of them. Oh yeah. Um, which you know that's just a beautiful hike uh the ball faces really really gorgeous some of the littler ones that people probably aren't familiar with if they're not doing lists like rogers ledge you know the view out there is just amazing <laughs> um but yeah i think those are some of the I'm trying to think what else are like some of the more memorable ones you know obviously some of the presidentials are you know the presidentials they're the they're the jewel and the and the yeah. crown of the the peaks um, but even though I did Washington uh, just a few months ago with Keith, uh, I got to say I'm not a fan anymore. You know, you get to the top, there's three, four hundred people up there. <laughs> yeah, I know. It takes some a little bit of the uh, a little bit of the prestige away. Yeah, the um, only thing I would say to defend Mount Washington is that there's nothing better than going in there and getting a couple of hot dogs. Oh, you're not kidding. Hike, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is the one thing. I, I Every time I complain about the crowds, I'm like, well, there's hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keith thought he had lost me, you know, which isn't uncommon. Um, I got a GPS system that uh, is broken. and But I was in there having a bowl of chili. He should have known better. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. funny. So, so can, can you get into a little bit about the new book? What's the name of the new book and um, the sort of the format and and talk a little bit about the process of writing this one. So um, the new was because everybody was, you know, really on my case about writing one about the 52. I just, I had no desire to write another book. Like I said, I'm really not an author. Um, but everyone kept saying, you got to do the 52. You get to do, so the, the second one is called, they said they wanted more. So it's kind of, you know, puts it back on them. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, it's about the 52, but one of the things I did differently in this book is I reached out to more contributors. So um, I have Lieutenant uh, Nealon, Fish and Game, that uh, gave an article. I have Ken McGray, who authors the um, the guidebook on the 52, turned in an article. Another author, Matt Landry. Um, Dan Schwens, I can't pronounce his last name. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Dan Schwensky. Yeah. He's, he's written oh, some books. Oh, yeah. He's like a historian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, he wrote an article, wonderful articles. And then I had about seven or eight other hikers that turned in articles. You know, funny stories that happened to them on different hikes. Um, so it's it's spread out a little bit more. You know, these are like all interspersed in there. That's neat. Um, and then I've done some research. Um, so when I'm huffing and puffing and can barely make it and um, for some reason these other three guys that I hike with they say I whine and complain and I, and you know I, I don't think that's true at all 
But um, <laughs> when I'm struggling, I would just tell them, I go, it's, it's, it's small lung syndrome. Um, I've got small <laughs> lung syndrome. And so it's hard to breathe. And then also altitude sickness. Um, you know, I'm a Seacoast guy. I was born and raised in Portsmouth. So, you know, if I get above a thousand feet. Um, so I scientifically break that down in the book. Like I, it's, it's science. Follow the science, right? Don't we hear that right. a lot today? Follow the science. It's science. And I get into that. And they bust my chops about the weather. So there's like a little side article in there on how, you know, how a mountain man tells the weather. And, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's humorous. It's, it's all factual. You know, they, they get mad at me. They're, they're popular. Like, like Ian, you got to tell the dentist story. Oh, yeah. So I, uh, my dentist is over in Hillsboro. I lived right next door to it. And I went to get my teeth cleaned. And the dental hygienist went back. And the dentist assistant asked her if that was the Ian Kenny. And so the dental assistant came in and she was like, are you the one in the book? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. She's like, they said it would be fun. I was like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, no, that is me. Yeah, that's I hike with him. <laughs> I was like, wow. Funny? Yep. It's pretty funny. Oh, yeah. It's funny. It's a small world. Yeah. yeah, it is. And Dave, Dave is really known. You know, when he was chief of police, he's connected with so many people. And now he's in municipal insurance. And he's connected with, you know, more town people, managers and, you know, things like that. And um people that are in hiking they'll say hey i just bought this book and i noticed that that was you on the cover uh you know you were in that book and so he's like yeah so i made these guys famous and um you'd think they'd be more appreciative but man they just they they ride me like a jockey on buttercup i mean it's horrible it's i mean having close friends is important because you don't want they will keep you in check you know as soon as you you start blowing up they will they will bring you back to earth for Mm -hmm. sure so true. Um, so any um, any close search and rescue calls, any field attempts at um, at at hikes, any good stories around um, getting in trouble out there? Because that's really what we care about the most. So I um, I am a hard learner. <laughs> right now they're looking at each other like, should I tell them this? Yeah, story? yeah. There's something 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 brewing. <laughs> So, so, you know, something, so I'm 60, I'm 63 now and something happens, you know, when you get into those sixties, things change. And, um, Ian is the youngest and, you know, I'm 63 and he, he always wants to hike on these like 90 degree days, you know? So they call me PK for pastor Cannon, like, Hey PK, let's do a hike. Let's do a hike. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's too hot. Oh, come on. You know? So we had done. We had done Smarts Mountain and um, in the winter, and we got halfway snowshoeing, which I detest, and I was just dying. I had given blood, and I didn't realize <laughs> I didn't realize that after you give blood, your red blood cells are gone, and so you don't have things to carry oxygen to the rest I would of your have body. never thought that that would be a thing. Who would oh, have thought? It is a huge <laughs> Don't give blood and hike, I'll tell you, at least not within the same proximity. So um, so we turned around that first time in the winter. I just couldn't breathe. And I might have been whining a little bit. I mean, um, so so he calls me up. Let's go hiking. I'm like, it's hot. You know, it's like 90. It's not. It's only 80. Uh, so we go and do Smarts Mountain. Um, he told me it was going to be like a seven mile hike. I, I only brought two liters of water. And that, you know, that's that's my fault. I carry I do carry a life straw. Mm. Um so so we start hiking and it's you know fairly warm and it's muggy it's humid it's muggy dear god we get out there i i you know i struggled all the way out 
I ran out of energy. I had already drank one liter of water just getting there, and that's really not a lot. But by the time we were coming back, I mean, the sun was, you know, it was noon. It was one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon. That hot afternoon sun. And when you hit the rock, the, the heat was wafing up off of the rock as well as down, you know, from the sun. And I felt like I was in an oven just being baked on every direction. And um, I, I had run out of water and I started getting, um, you know, dehydrated and, um, you know, it's not, what is, it's not, it's heat, heat sickness. I think it's not, sun, you know, it's not yeah. like sunstroke. I think heat it's like exhaustion. Heat, heat exhaustion. That's it. And uh, yeah, so I mean, like I just about like passed out. I got wheezy and I just sat there trying to recover you know, recover your heart rate, your breathing, and it wasn't recovering too easy. And, um, you know, Ian was gracious. He stayed there with me. He didn't abandon me. And, and I'm like, you know, this just, it's really hot. And, um, and so I'm looking at him like, you know, got any hydration on you? Like, hint, hint, wink, wink, nod, nod. Like, I'm dying over here. So yeah. he's gracious enough to give me half <laughs> of what he had left over, which I suppose he's got to look after himself, even though I was dying. I was perishing right there before his eyes. Um, but that was a close call. That was, um, you know, that just woke me up to uh, sometimes you got to suck it up and carry the weight you need. You know, the thing is about a life straw, they're absolutely useless if there's no water around. And there was like no yeah. water anywhere on that hike. Yeah. You know, yeah, I would have just. Yeah. Were you saying it was winter or no, this is the this summer. summer. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Same thing with winter, though, if everything's frozen. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's funny. So it was yeah. funny because like he's like, it's only 80. We stopped at a store because I was just going to buy hydration. I didn't care what they had liquid. I probably would have drank brake fluid, brake fluid if they had. So um, and I asked the proprietor, you know, how hot is it today? And both him and his wife simultaneously in harmony said it's 90. And I was like, there, there you go. There you, I knew it was going to be way too hot. How do you defend yourself, Ian, from the <laughs> Best part about this hike is when we get to the store, he goes and he buys a plain bottle of water and he buys a flavored bottle of water. The plain bottle of water was dumped over his head, so he gets out gets outside, unknowingly cracks the strawberry one, dumps it over his head, so all you can smell is strawberries the entire ride home. Oh, <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Funny. So did you make it to the did you have to turn around or did you make it to the top? No, we made it in and out. Yeah, we we summited and came back out. Huh. Smarts is the one with that. That's got the fire tower on top, right? Is that yeah, the one with the cabin yeah. right up there, and then it's yeah. got the beautiful outhouse that's like wide open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. I had a close call on my uh, my Pemi loop. I did a Pemi loop on a day that was supposed to be forecast to ninety five. So I started like people do at like two two thirty in the morning and got to. Lafayette by about 11 or so and um, that's when the heat started kicking in I made it across Garfield Ridgefield but by the time I got to Boncliffe it hit me I, I had that heat exhaustion moment and I was just uh, I wouldn't say delirious but I was fretting every step and wondering if I was going to get my my goal was to get to that one water crossing that's below Boncliffe as you're heading back to Lincoln Woods Road yep. and thank God I made it but man phew, scary yeah. It can really, because you do get to the point where you, you're you soaked initially with sweat and your body's not cooling off, but then you stop sweating yeah. and that's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So this book is, it's out. You can get it on Amazon. We will, um, we'll put a link in the show notes and we'll do a little bit of uh, advertising through a couple of posts on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Um 
So this would be a good book for anybody that's looking for a Christmas present for a hiker. If you haven't got the 4,000-footer book, you can get them as a, as a twofer. And I, the way I would suggest that people do this is I would get both books, and it's just another tool in your arsenal because not only is it, it there's some good stories, and you know I haven't read the 52 with a view book yet, but um, there's some good stories in the 4,000-footer book. Um, and I sort of look at it as another way that you can sort of get um, details on the hikes because he does talk about you know Ken talks about the terrain and and, and the the features of the mountains as well so it's just another uh, informational tool that you can utilize. Very good. So um, Ken, one one other area that I did want to ask you about: you're a pastor and you you know you deal with probably a lot of. Um, interesting topics. Um, one of the things that I'm curious to get your perspective on is the sort of hiking culture in general and sort of the good and the bad. And then maybe a little bit about your perspective about, you know, is there anything that we can do in the hiking community to to just be better from your perspective? Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what, what you see amongst your fellow hikers? Yeah, you know, I mean, I would encourage anyone to hike. And I know with COVID, a lot of people have turned to the outdoors. Um, we live in such a high stressful community. Um, you know, everybody's at such a, a breakneck speed doing everything that they do. Um, and, you know, to just get out in nature is so refreshing. You know, as a coach, um, especially doing wellness coaching sometimes with people, we have a we have a, a sympathetic nervous system that kind of it, it's the gas pedal. It's what makes us go and accomplish, but we can't live there. So there's a parasympathetic system that needs to be tapped into so that there's checks and balances. Mm -hmm. And something like getting out in nature is something that absolutely causes that parasymp parasympathetic uh, nervous system to to fire. You know, it's relaxing. Um, it just, and I think that's, you know, I think that's wonderful. Like in my, in my expression, I would say God gives us nature and we turned around and turned it into cities. Um, so I, you know, I would encourage anyone to, to hike and, and I've met wonderful people on the trails and, and I find, you know, moms out there laughing their heads off, having a blast. You see young kids, you see, you see all kinds of people, you know, it's just, it's just, it never amazes me. Um, and then, you know, and then in the summer months, you got the tour buses coming. It looks like the United Nations out there, right? I mean, just like all kinds of people. Um, and I think they do come in on tour buses because you have to get out of the trail as 50 people are going by, college students. You get to see what the latest sneakers are as they're going up into the presidentials <laughs> <laughs> or flip-flops. Or, um, But one of the things that, you know, man, this just really, you know, we have to be better at leave no trace. Oh, you know, when, when I did a yep. sunrise, I did a sunrise. Uh, matter of fact, Ian was with us and Ian's uh, now wife uh, was with us and uh, Dave. And we did a sunrise on Chikora. And uh, as the sun came up, I just I was sitting on the rocks just watching the, the sun come up. And then as it came up, because it was dark, I didn't really see my surroundings that well. But when it came up, I looked down and in the crevice right there at my feet was an empty beer can. Mm. And I'm like, come on, seriously, you hiked it in when it was 16 ounces. You can't hike it out when it's 0.5 ounces. You know? Yeah, that's a shame. So that's where I think uh, the hiking community as a whole can do a lot better. And, and sometimes I think it's probably uh, the, the novice hikers that really, you know, they don't understand it. They're just doing a weekend warrior type thing and they don't understand like, you know, leave no trace means 
leave no trace. Um, coming yeah. down, um, oh, what hike was it? Dave and I did. I think it was Osceola. Um, and, uh, you know, up comes this girl, this young girl, 22, with her boyfriend or husband or whatever. And he's listening to like this boombox. Um, which you know, <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. Oh, God, but then what? Weird. What really got me is about like you know another tenth of the mile down the trail. There's three batteries laying in the middle of the trail. Like his batteries died, he changed them, just left them in the trail and mm-hmm. kept going. And I, I can't say it was him because I didn't see it. But you know, I'm just putting two to two together. Maybe it's an unfair um, equation. But you know, like why are you leaving dead batteries in the trail? You yeah. know, just just so I, a lot of times you know I'll pack stuff like that out myself because I just um, I don't like to see trash or things like that out there. And, yeah and masks will you pick up the mask and stick it in your pack <laughs> and the, not and, i and the blue bags of dog poop <laughs> oh, <What yeah>. is, <laughs> no kidding oh it it depends. i i will pick that stuff up because i have like um because i just do work around the house and i think COVID's turned me into a germ phobic maniac anyway but i have like those like surgical gloves not surgical gloves but like the the gloves and i have those in my pack sometimes and if i see something really gross i'll just put the gloves on and then like pick the gross thing up put it in the trash bag and then throw the 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 glove away occasionally so i picked up some gnarly stuff and i have picked up those dog poop bags before (laughs) (laughs) oh boy it is something. Well, I I wanted to go no no I wanted to go back to Ken had said that he had been struggling for a year and a half with plantar fasciitis and then he basically nothing was working so he turned to the power of prayer to solve that. Can you can we dive into that a little bit here because um, I think that there's a fair number of people that deal with these repetitive injuries and whether it's through prayer or other means that you know if the if the, the physical therapy is not working. You know, I'm curious what what do you think, Ken? I mean, obviously you're a pastor, so I think it's pretty clear that you feel like the the, the power of prayer really solved it for you. But can you talk a little bit about it? Has Planter come back, or was it just a one time fix for you? Um, yeah, no, it never came back. Um, it never came back. It was very painful, and like I said, I had it for a year and a half. So it took me out of uh, the woods. It took me out of hiking. It took me out of a lot of things, um, and I did go to a doctor. I did get a cortisone shot. I call it the stick from hell. That was one mm. of the most painful things ever. I mean, he went literally went right through my heel, like under that back heel bone. Yeah, Just, you're right. That's the worst. That was really, um, that was something. And, you know, like I said, we, every, every, well, almost every Sunday, we offer prayer for anyone who wants prayer for any need. You know, maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a need in a relationship. Um, or maybe it's something that they're struggling with with a sickness or you know a malady or something like that. We we we've seen things happen. We've seen people be you know get healed. And I don't know for some reason like you know like as the pastor I'm like well, maybe I should go for prayer because you know I it was a year and a half that I was out of this thing. And uh, the guy that um, prayed for me he you know he prayed over me. And he said, like, you know, one for, when I went up, he said, like, from a one to ten, he goes, where would you say your pain is right now? And this was after preaching two services and standing for a long time. I said, seriously, like, right now it's like a nine and a half. And he prayed over me. And he, and he goes, you know, what's it now? And I said, seriously, it's like a nine and a half. You know, like, nothing happened. And he goes, well, you know, just go home and give it some time. I'm like, all right. I went home. I went to bed. Monday I woke up, and it was noticeable. It, it lit, like, it dropped down to a seven. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I noticed it, and that got me really excited. So the next week, I went back to him and I said, "Hey, I, I want you to pray for me again." And it went down to like a five and a half, and like week after week for five consistent weeks, hmm. and that last week it was gone. And so I was a little skittish, you know, and I'm like, I'm not going to go do an 11 mile hike and get out there six miles and it kicks in and I'm in pain. And, you know, so I just started like uh, a tenth of a mile, quarter of a mile, half a mile, couple miles, six miles, 10 miles. And then, you know, after I'm doing 10, 13 miles in Pawtuckaway, I'm like, I think I'm ready to, you know. Walk on water? But yeah, yeah. I'm going to push the envelope, and I'm going to go for a 4,000-footer. And uh, yeah, and I, I never had any problems again after that point. Wow. So, so what is your professional assessment here? What, what happened? Do we have a miracle? Oh, hey, yeah, I would think so. I grew up in the church. Um, you might be interested in this. My story is I grew up in the Pentecostal church. Uh, uh, denomination, and then I was exposed to the the Catholic side of things on my dad's side of the family. So I'm like a hybrid. I I, I sort of experienced both faiths growing up, and I totally believe in the power of prayer and miracles and everything. So you went from left to right, and I went from right to left. I grew up Catholic. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I'm a, I'm and I, now I'm Pentecostal. Oh come on, really? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I love and respect both faiths, and yeah, I think it's absolutely. great. I've yeah, seen absolutely. I've seen personally a, a lot of interesting things over my my long 52 years mike but uh yeah i'm all in with the baby jesus yeah and you know one of, one of the reasons i hike with the guys that, you know that i with keith and dave and ian is because i i firmly believe that anyone can be rehabilitated and um mm. i haven't seen a lot of success yet but i'm still i'm still hanging in there with these guys and you know seeing a little bit <laughs> Oh man! You know what's sort of can I, just one other side topic. It's funny between Pentecostals or Protestants and Catholics. It's like Pentecostals are more like you know, give your burden to God and, and He'll take care of it. Whereas the Catholics are more like wear that wool jacket and suffer because it's it's good for you know the, those poor souls in purgatory and stuff like that. So it's a little bit of a, a difference in a, approach, but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> fun. We could talk about that for hours, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Mike? So I guess I ran through all the questions that I had. Again, like I said, we will be um, posting up in the show notes links to details on how you can purchase both books. And, you know, I guess my final thought, Ken, on this is as I was going through and sort of putting the script together. I've recently completed the the you know some hiking list myself, and I, I did try to take a little bit of time to reflect on sort of what are the key points that I realized around you know mm-hmm. what were the epiphanies for me, and the first one that I came up with was that you know we do this activity called peak bagging, and I put a little post up on the four thousand footer group, and the first point I basically said is you know my what I learned from this is that you know you should be looking to bag more friends than peaks through the activities that you do with this hiking and mm-hmm. it sounds like you've really embodied that with you know your core group of friends and then uh, having the ability to sort of reach out and make relationships with the search and rescue teams and then actually getting a, a, a you know it sounds like seven or eight people to, to contribute to your next project um, so I think that you really it sounds like you you've got a great story to tell as far as you know doing this in a way where you've you've built a lot of different relationships so uh, that was my kind of takeaway from from reading your book and then thinking about like how i completed my my lists and, and sort of watching you complete yours 
Yeah, it's kind of like, I, you know, I think what it taught me is that if you set a goal and if you have enough stick to no matter what that goal is, you can accomplish it. And it was just a matter of, you know, healing from that dreaded hike and getting back out and doing another one and then another one and another one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, congratulations on finishing a couple of lists yourself. And I think that people, you know, just start off with one smaller uh, hike and and enjoy it. You know, Uh, the other thing is enjoy the whole process. You know, I mean, it's not about seeing that summit. It's about finding the peak you want to do, looking at the maps, picking the trails, packing your pack, making sure you get the 10 essentials, all of that stuff. We, you know, the guys I hike with, we constantly bust on one another. You know, we're picking on one another, making fun of one another. But uh, honestly, these guys are the best. You know, we've we've saved each other's bacon and we pulled each other's bacon out of the fire a number of times. And, you know, uh, I've done a lot of solo hiking, but it, there's nothing like, you know, being out there in the woods with a close friend, sharing that experience, me other people on the hikes it's all it's all part of the the wonderfulness of hiking mm, it's really yeah, it's great. great um if i could uh, are you guys getting ready to segue into one other we're going to move into search and rescue but i have one question for you but go ahead whatever you want to say well go, i'll answer your it. question well you were you were ready to talk about something right? I, if i was just going to say that um uh, Dave and, and Ian and Keith and I, we started a, another out branch. We've started a little group called White Mountain Approved, where we are now starting to do gear reviews. We're on Instagram yep. under, under White Mountain Approved. Oh, yeah. And I've seen so, that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing gear reviews. Um, we are going to start selling some novelty okay. T-shirts. Starting to connect. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what got this set up. Yeah. All yeah. right. I got it. Okay. Yeah. I have so seen it. Anybody wants to check that out, you know, and... Um, uh, you know, we're going to do some fun things such as, you know, like in the month of May, if you can spot Dave on a trail and recognize him, we'll stop and shoot a gear review right then and there with you. Like you can review <laughs> a piece of gear that you like or, you know, you particularly care for. So we're going to mix it up, do some nutty things and just have some fun with it. Again, just kind of like, you know, uh, working with and bringing the whole hiking community together a little bit. That's fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll add that to the show notes as well, and then li- we can link that across our uh, our social media. What's the What's the the newest gear that you guys are looking at right now? <laughs> um, I did a review on a couple of different headlamps, um, from a Energizer from Walmart to a Black Diamond to the newest Petzl, the four hundred and fifty lumen one that just came out, uh, which is now my new favorite. And I did a review on those. Um, we did, uh, uh, what do you got Ian? What else have we done? Oh, uh, we've got some on some base layer. We're doing some videos. Just, we're trying to, again, we're trying to have fun with it. We've got some just quick videos of us. We're trying to do it on the trail, on the peaks when we're there, um, with nice views in the background. And then we're also doing just uh, pictures of the gear with us using it and uh, explaining a little bit. Yeah, we're just having fun with it. You know, we're just saying, we're saying, you know, we do all our gear reviews from the peaks of mountains, not from living rooms. You know, just kind of just being nutty and silly and crazy. <laughs> That's great. Well, awesome. um, I, so here's my question. Um, critical incident stress debriefings. I'm sure you've done some. With the Raymond as, PD. As yeah. a chaplain. Because yeah. um, our first rescue here that we're first story is actually a recovery so i i'm always uh, fascinated to hear about those services and maybe just to talk about it briefly how uh you handle critical incident stress debriefings if that's what you're doing uh mm-hmm. for the the fire department fire department 
Uh, PD. PD. Okay. Uh, maybe it's a little different, but certainly in search and rescue, we've had a share of events that um, have called for a chaplain to come in and talk with us and this and that, and uh, maybe just to talk about that briefly. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things about critical stress debriefing is um, what you're trying to circumvent is people developing post-traumatic stress um, syndrome. PTSD, uh, the way I like to define it, PTSD is a natural response to an unnatural event. Um, In other words, it's not natural for us to have to... um, try to rescue dying people or recover recover a dead body you know like that's not normal (laughs) you know and so when people encounter those excuse me those kinds of high stress situations it can leave a lingering effect and some people it doesn't bother at all some people maybe it bothers but they just repress it and um and that's not good either and some people it just physically and outwardly bothers them um, and so if people can talk about that, um, talk about what it was that bothered them about about the incident, why it bothered them, um, sometimes it's just a catharsis to talk it out, mm. you know, just get it off of your shoulders. Um, but, uh, you know, and I would just say that if there's anyone that really struggles um even more, you know, with with an incident like that, that, you know, maybe some coaching, you know, as a life coach, I see people move forward in all kinds of um, situations. I know my uh, brother was a firefighter down in Sarasota, Florida, and um, his wife died early and he was leaving the fire department. Everybody told him, don't leave, don't leave. You know, he's got 13 years in, mm-hmm. but he was also a paramedic. And he, and he told me, he said, listen, I just couldn't do that anymore. You know, pulling bodies out of cars and stuff like that. And oh, he yeah. says, I just couldn't deal with it anymore. So it builds up. Sometimes there's sometimes there's post-traumatic stress from seeing something uh, in the moment that's, mm-hmm. you know, live and it's shocking and it, and, it, and it stays with you. And sometimes it's a slow, repetitive build. Right. You know, you go on a rescue or a recovery again and again and again. And, mm-hmm. and it's like it bills. It's something that, that escalates. Yeah, because that's, that's the angle that I've sort of been cognizant of uh, with Search and Rescue and I I try to watch members and I watch myself with that and I've always thought that like even though this is just uh, an ankle fracture this is really stressful (laughs) it's like it's midwinter you know somebody's freezing up there we we get a hustle it's it definitely adds up over the years you know it's so um, yeah that's interesting what should people look out for in their own lives like um any red flags or signs like you know if it's cause if it's causing you if it's a memory that you just won't leave your your mind you know it's just like stuck in your mind and you keep dwelling on it keep thinking on it that would be a red flag mm-hmm. um if it starts impairing your sleep or your diet um you know that's those are other red flags you know if you find yourself maybe retreating inside of yourself a little bit more than you normally would that would you know be another red flag so yeah. Those are all things to look for. Mm, substance abuse. I'm sure you see that substance too. Substance abuse, yeah. Self-medication. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Now, what do you cover with life coaching? I know that's a pretty broad question, but what topics? So life coaching, I mean, the the simplest explanation is, is it's not mentoring, it's not consulting, it's not counseling. Life coaching is a... Uh, a conversation, a relationship around a conversation that a person has with a coach, where the coach is trained specifically to listen very, very deeply, and then ask questions to draw out knowledge that a person has but they don't know they have. 
Hmm. We believe that a person is whole and complete in and of themselves. They have the goods. They have the answers. They just need help figuring that out. Gotcha. And so when you ask these thought-provoking questions that create an aha, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, the synapse are firing and things are happening, um, then they come up with their solution. They come up with the goals for those solutions. They come up with who's going to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. And they actually they actually act on it because it's their ideas. They've yeah. got skin in the game. You know, it, it's, it was all, it all came from them. You know, years ago, I used to do counseling and I would tell people do A, B, and C. They wouldn't do A, B, and C. But when they come up with A, B, and C, they have ownership of it and there's like 90% more likelihood that they're going to act on it. Hmm, that's excellent. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You know how I've always thought about that is like, you know, when you're hiking in, sometimes you're on like a, in a wilderness section or something and you like, you're, you know how to hike you're you're prepared but you can't find the trail and you have to stop and be like did i take a wrong turn or whatever and then you have to sort of look around and then all of a sudden like the trail just appears in front of you i feel like a lot of times like in our lives like we just we're on our trail we just sort of step off for a minute and we just can't see that path and i think i've had a little bit of experience with sort of mentors and life coaches and i think the way you describe it is sort of like you're helping to just sort of like see the path when we couldn't see it uh, clearly, but we're you know we're close to it, but we just didn't get on it right. So, right, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that's a great analogy. I mean, I never miss trails or turns or anything like that, do I? Yeah, no, I never. <laughs> <laughs> They're always like, "Hey, PK, when you go down that trail, that's taking you back out to Route 16." I'm like, I don't know, but you know, but you know when you do that, and then all of a sudden, like you stop, and you're like, you're like, "Oh yeah, now I, it's so obvious, but it wasn't a minute ago." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I always tell them, like, well, no, I saw, like, I thought it was a deer down there or something. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a moose. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Well, so do we want to get into some search and rescue news? Yeah, let's dive in. All right. All right. So this first one is, it's a sad story. So we it was a, um, a hiker fatality on Lonesome Lake. So we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on this because um, I do want to read a little bit from... Um, George Gallagher is the name of the gentleman who passed away on Lonesome Lake, and his his wife was kind enough to post some information on social media. And there's a really you know um, poignant um, obituary that they that they put out for him. But basically, on um, October 23rd at 8 a.m., New Hampshire Fishing Game was notified of a hiker that was receiving CPR on the Lonesome Lake Trail. So it was a 53 year old male from Beverly who was hiking with a partner. Um, and he had collapsed suddenly on the trail, and they were about a mile from the trailhead. And, you know, fortunately, there was two EMTs that had happened to be hiking in the same area, so they were actually able to immediately start performing CPR. Unfortunately, their efforts were, um, you know, they weren't able to revive him. Um, and, you know, later on, the news came out that the, the gentleman that, um, you know, had collapsed, his name was George Gallagher, he was um, attempting, it sounds like, my guess is he was doing the Kinsman, so he was pursuing the 4,000-footer list. So he had completed 31 of the 48 4,000-footers, and he was uh, heading up to do the Kinsman's on that day. And, you know, his cousin had written a nice sort of tribute to just say that he wanted to say thank you for all of the, you know, the outreach and, and you know, thank the hiking community for all their all their thoughts and then later on, his um, 
his wife had posted a, a nice note here, which which I'll read. So she had basically just said that, you know, um, many of you have reached out to pay your respects, tribute, and, and kind words of sympathy and support. And she, you know, I'd like to share this in hopes that you can all read it. She says that um, I've tried to respond to each and every one of you. Your kindness has brought me so much peace during this unexpected loss of such a loved man. Um, and thank you forever from Cynthia Gallagher. So she she said that George was laid to rest yesterday morning at the base of a small shaded hill in plot number 31, which was appropriate because he had completed 31 of the 4,000 footers. Um, he brought his hiking shoes in his compass so that he may always find his way home. Hmm. She said their hearts are broken right now. They'll miss him always and forever. And you know, she again wanted to pass her thanks on to... Um, to the hiking community for all their kind words and at the end of the obituary it, it basically gave a nice tribute to george which said that he had a zest for life and was always up for an adventure he had recently developed a love for hiking and a quest to hike all 48 4,000 footers of the white mountains of uh new hampshire he had recently completed number 31 and they end with a quote which is i'm off to follow another trail and you may know how i and you know how i love to roam but I know full well at the end of this trail, I'll find my eternal home. So, so George, hope you're uh, hope you're doing well. And you know, it's a sad story, but you know, it's uh, I think that um, you know his wife really sent off a nice tribute to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is sad. Beautiful story, though. Um, classic case of critical incident uh, stress debriefing. Our team was uh, actually doing a training. Um, pretty much a quarter mile up the road so they were right there and uh they responded quickly and helped out yeah yeah it's like i mean we had chris from solo on and even you know he talks about how like you're you know you don't have that normal time frame to to get a reaction but even in this case like there was emts right on the scene pretty much right away so it's just unfortunate yep it's very sad, but you know, um, at least it's a comfort in knowing that he went doing something he really, really loved, and in a beautiful setting on Lonesome Lake Trail. You know, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's um, you know, we were when we did our last hike stomp, we were looking down on Lonesome Lake, and it is it's a beautiful area there. So yeah. Um, so all right, so the let's move on here to the next one here. So this is on November 11th at 7:40 p.m. Fishing Game was notified by um, the New Hampshire State Police about a group of students and staff from Camp Wadiko. Um, they had become lost in the woods. I feel like if you're like running a camp, like that's like one on one. You like you, you can't get your people lost in the woods. But um, I guess one student was experiencing a medical issue and was in need of assistance. So uh, this was in Black Pond in Windsor, New Hampshire. I don't even I'm know not where familiar that is. With that. I mean, the name is familiar, but I'm thinking of some other black... Isn't there a black pond somewhere near the, one of the 48s? I thought there was. Black pond. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, oh, black pond bushwhack. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, going to Owl's yeah, right. Yep. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit different, but I yeah. guess they were... So this was Hillsborough Fire and EMS... Um, Responded and they were able to get uh, uh, all-terrain vehicles out to the area, um, but they did have to hike through the woods about a um, half mile or so before contacting the group. Yeah, it sounds like a bushwhack. Was, yeah, I guess. I don't <laughs> know. Were they all bushwhacking? <laughs> I don't get it. I don't know. 
there was not nine mm. students and staff they were able to hike out without assistance while awaiting for the um, ATVs to get there and um, I guess by midnight all the students and staff arrived back at the at the school or the camp or whatever they were at so interesting oh, that's a good turnout yeah yeah yep absolutely definitely a good outcome now we're back over to uh chikora right yeah 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 this is uh we've heard this story before so uh this was on november 9th at 3 p.m fishing games notified that a hiker was suffering from a hip injury on champney fall so older gentleman 72 year old gentleman from warwick rhode island was coming down and he tripped and injured his hip i mean that that trail's got a lot of roots on it so i can mm-hmm. definitely imagine that you know he was only about a half a mile from the trailhead but there's no cell phone connection there so i guess a hiker um drove down and she was able to alert the forest service so they got on the scene to to help him out and, and assist him out about a half a mile or so so he was at the trailhead around uh, four o'clock so pretty easy one for uh, the, the conway um, fire department i guess they took him to the uh, the memorial hospital for treatment hmm. yeah she had to drive 10 miles <laughs> to get service yeah exactly that's not a good area so anything on the kank the lower kank on the north conway side has no cell connection so you're you're kind of screwed out there if you get if you get an injury this is the last one but this is my favorite one we're going to go out to Alaska to uh, Denali. Remember, remember when we had Jeff Rogers on and he was talking about how like it's it's like a little crazy in Denali this year and that there was like too many hikers out there and they were sort of, I guess you, the deal with Denali is you go with like a small group and then if like one or two people bail out, you, you can connect with other people. But what's, what's happening is that all these like groups are forming on the mountain and they don't know each other. So they have no idea what the skills or experience level is and it's causing like a mess. So I think the forest service out there was like warning people not to be, not to be idiots on Denali, but we, we have somebody who decided to be an idiot. So what happened? So this guy is a doctor. So um, a doctor is facing federal charges after falsely reporting in May that a pair of climbers he had joined in a makeshift expedition on Denali um, had fallen ill and needed a high-risk helicopter rescue. So, Ken, this is something you could think about doing the next time you're not feeling good. I'm all ears. Basically, (laughs) you could say, like, you know, your hiking crew needs needs assistance. So what this doctor did is he he basically – he was hiking with a group. That group fell apart. He connected with these two other hikers, and apparently, um, for whatever reason, they weren't able to get to the summit. So this guy, um, he called in and said that um, he had a satellite phone, so he called in and basically said that he was with two other hikers that he had just connected with and that um, they were showing signs of altitude sickness and... Um, they needed a helicopter rescue, so they went. They went in and got these got these folks. But it turned out that the two other climbers that the doctor was talking about t- later told investigators that they had never experienced any shock or hypothermia, and they had spent hours trying to persuade this doctor to rope up with them and descend the mountain. Uh, but the doctor refused, insisting this you know that he was going to stay put. And he told the other two climbers that the park service was obligated to rescue them because they had hypothermia. So hmm. basically, this doctor wow. was he was he was refusing to go down 
and <clears> was like, I'm going to wait for the helicopter ride. And he was using these other two hikers that he was with as the excuse to say mm. they have to come rescue me. And it put the helicopter uh, pilots are at 17,000 feet, so it right. puts them a lot of risk. Mm. So, Doctor of deception. They're going to go after this guy. Yeah, exactly. So, Wow, um, that's messed up. I wonder if he'll get the uh, the helicopter bill. <laughs> Holy moly, it's never cheap. That's for sure. Yeah, but that's uh, so. Ken, next time you get um, elevation sickness on um, Mount Willard, don't <laughs> call for a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Mount Willard. The Mount Willard. That's a good one. Yeah. I um I actually um became friends with uh, Luke Kalatish, who is uh, one of the Black Hawk pilots out of Concord. Okay, and um, he gave us a tour of the facility, tour of the the uh, the equipment. Those machines are absolutely beautiful, and you know they're incredibly skilled pilots. But you're right; every time they go out, it's putting them at risk. You know, you never know what's going to happen in a piece of machinery like that. And so to to put in a false call like that, that's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those guys are great, aren't they? Good, good crew down there. I'll tell you. And to know that it's all volunteer. Like, they're not sitting there at the hangar waiting. They're at home, Mike. I don't know if you knew that. Air National Guard, they're all just volunteers. They get the call at home while they're making dinner. And, yeah, no, oh, I... we got to go. Yeah, no, I think Ty, Ty's book on the um, the last traverse talks, talks a lot about that, that structure. Hmm. I got into a problem on Mount Hayes, too, with uh, Keith. And again, it was just one of these hot, hot days. And uh, I was hydrating better, but I don't know what happened. I don't know what, I don't know what happened, but I almost blacked out. And, um, and I was trying to recover, and I couldn't stop the world from spinning. Like everything was spinning, 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 and I couldn't stop it. And I must have sat there for like 15 minutes. <laughs> and finally, Keith goes, do you want me to call 911? And I was like, oh, hell no. I write books to search and rescue. <laughs> I will die out here. It'll be a recovery before they come. I mean, it, you know, it's not going to happen. So I literally just stood up and just started uh, step after step and walked out. But um, huh. yeah, no, I'm not going to call any helicopters anytime soon. Yeah, <laughs> that's a common, common theme with like search and rescue or just people associated with the community to yeah. some degree. It's yeah. like, nope, <laughs> hell no. It's a riot. Yeah. It must be something about Mont Hayes too, because I've been on, I've been in that area twice, and both times was like the most oppressive heat I've ever experienced in the whites, like just drenching hmm. sweat. Yeah. So yeah, it must be the area. Well, that's a good one. All right. So yeah, but that's the uh, that's the search and rescue. So do we stop? Do we have any time to do a, a White Mountain history topic, or do we uh, do we get to cut this? I don't see why not. You guys good for a few more minutes? Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, we have. Go for it. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? All right, I got one. So we'll just do one quick one. So Six Husbands Trail. Have you? Oh, so Ken, that's the other thing. Ken and Ian, you guys, the next one for you is the the, tw- the terrifying 25. Ian's down for that. <laughs> Ian's nope. down for that. <laughs> nope. They, no? they abandoned me on oh, Morgan, well. you know, Mount Morgan and Percival. <laughs> I went up the, the ladders. ladders. Yeah, the ladders. Uh. I went up the ladders and made it in the cave, and then we're all like, see you later. And so I had to do the cliffs beyond that by myself. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I oh, think lovely. to do the terrifying 25, there's certain options, but then there's certain ones that you have to do. Sure. Yeah. And um, oh, what's the one I'm thinking about? Like, what's the worst one up there? It's that canyon. It's the um, Huntington's. Huntington Ravine. 
Yeah. For some reason, I don't know. I would probably yeah. do it if I had an experienced guide that you know brought me up there. Hmm. Um, that would know. be Mike. Mike. Mike will take you. <laughs> <laughs> no, stomp. You can take him. <laughs> yeah. uh, just Maybe. watch Mike's video. He just made a video about it, and he's like, he's. I we joke around actually. about the people on their cell phones that like fall into manholes and things like that. And he's going up Huntington's holding his phone with one hand. He's like, you know, two legs and one arm getting up Huntington. Like, this is great. In, in the rubber boots? Were you the guy, were you the guy in the rubber boots? <laughs> no, no, no rubber uh, boots. That's great. So. I've taken a black Sharpie and blacked out all the terrifying 25 trails in my guidebook so I know that I'll never hit them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Well, anyway, so we're going to do it. So the, the, this is called the uh, little bit of White Mountain history. So the Six Husbands Trail is in the presidential range. So this is on the Terrifying 25 list. And uh, it's an interesting sort of history about this trail. So Stomp, I didn't realize this. So Six Husbands, basically, where it's positioned now is it's off of the Great Gulf Trail. So yep. you go down the Great Gulf, and then um, you can continue right up the Great Gulf Headwall, or you can continue and actually sort of bang a right and go yep. up the Sphinx Trail, or you can cut up to Madison Gulf. But if you keep going a little ways, you take a right, and then Six Husbands is this really tricky trail that, like, the top section isn't too bad, but the lower section has like these ladders. It's just really sort of mossy area where a lot of people get turned around in the lower section. But Six Husbands is like, a, it's on the Terrifying 25. It's super steep. And um, it is a trail that dates back to the early 1900s. And this guy named uh, Warren Hart had um, had been the guy that was, he's a trail builder. And he had cut a lot of the trails in the Great Gulf. And I didn't realize this, but this trail had originally um so i guess this guy he built the the great the the great gulf trail as it is right now but i guess this the original six husbands trail was cut in 1909 and 1910 by hart and in a volunteer amc trail crew um and it was actually it began on the tuckerman ravine trail and then came across the alpine garden and then it must have cr crossed the auto road near the, um, I guess, near mile marker six, and then descended down into mm -hmm. the Great Gulf. So it was a much longer trail. I don't know what the name of that trail is now, but I I, I can't remember. Um, Weedemo, maybe, or something like that. But it descended down into the Great Gulf and then eventually came down into where it exists now, um, ending on the summit of Mount, Mount Jefferson. Um, but it's basically now, it's just a 2.3-mile um, trail, that's sort of the, just the western part of the trail. So I guess the deal with this trail is that it was uh, named after. I got to make sure that I got this. So yeah, so it's the trail name is connected to Chief Weedemo, um, and she was a female Indian chief of the Pocasset tribe. So Weedemo Falls has been named for her. And then the western portion of this trail was named for, apparently she had six husbands. So I don't know how that works. I don't know if they all died or if there was some sort of a divorce situation going on back in the day. But <laughs> She told them to go hike up this trail, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, so there's a couple of trails down in the Great Gulf. So there's the, the Wamsuda Trail, I think, is what yeah. was sort of cut up between that and the six husbands. Um 
so there's a lot of like sketchy information on here, but Chief Wiedemo, um, they think she'd only actually married five times and her husband Wamsuda was the most famous and they think that he might have been like her first or second husband. Um, but they basically named those trails in that area over, you know, in, in honor of, you know, these, these early Native Americans. And, you know, six husbands back in the day is pretty interesting. She must have lived quite a life if she was named a chief of a tribe and then she's got all these different husbands. So hmm. we have um, the Weedamoos over here uh, in Thornton. There are two peaks that are nestled between Route 49 and the Sandwich Range. Um, it's a bushwhack for the two peaks, but I'm guessing it's associated. Uh, people around here call it Weedamoo. Weedamoo, yeah, yeah. So it is associated. And then um, I think, you know, this original long trail was called Six Husbands the whole way up. And then I think what they likely did was they had, um, you know, they just put the, you know, the, the name Wamsuda on to one half of it and then Six Husbands on the other section of it. So pretty interesting beautiful area the great gulf is amazing beautiful beautiful have you been in there again i don't think so i don't think i've been in there <laughs> it's amazing yeah. if you're familiar with like lord of the rings like the uh, uh that dense forest that they all go into there yeah uh man it's just old growth and just there's an ancient feel about it beautiful place have either of you guys read a uh, forest and craig Mm-mm. It's a big, thick book about all the uh, New England mountain history. Very interesting. Oh. Very interesting. Hmm. A recent book or an older book? It's an older one. Okay. Yep. I'm pretty sure Steve has it over the Mountain Wanderer. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Good old Steve. Yeah, I got to check that out. I would say, like, if you haven't been in the Great Gulf, especially, uh, I think people have this assumption that you know, because you've got six husbands and you've got Madison Gulf and you've got the Great Gulf and you've got Sphinx Trail, I think people have this assumption that it's like really not a good place to go if if you're not interested in climbing these super steep areas. But just the Great Gulf itself, there's not a lot of elevation gain. I think it's a nine mile trail. And I think the first like six miles or so, seven miles is like really you only gain about 1,800 or 2,000 feet of elevation. And in the summertime, it just follows along the, I think it's the West Peabody River. And it's it's just an awesome area where you just stop and you can, you know, there's so many like cool waterfalls and areas where you can sort of just dip your feet into the, the river, sit there and have like a nice lunch or whatever. So it's really like a cool day hike if you wanted to do that. And, you know, you just go doing out and back, you know, you're not going to see a ton of views, but you'll see some amazing waterfalls and, and some awesome views of, um, you know, different water features if you're if you're down for that. It's kind of a unique type of day if you if you did that. But I definitely recommend it. You do like a ten mile hike and it's not a lot of elevation gain. Very cool. So anything else, Stomp? No, man. This has been a great show. I thank you guys for making the trip over to the Woodpecker Studio and trying out the new gear and this one will be out um well before the holidays, so that's great. I wish you the best of luck with the book release and um, thank, you. thank you for everything you're doing for Search and Rescue and that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the invitation to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Is this your first podcast ever, Ken? Yes, it is. I've never done one before. Happy to be the first. 
Very good. So, Stomp, I will send you over the audio for this, and I promise it's not going to be screwed up this time, I swear. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. (laughs) Take care. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.